God, would you use this time to speak to your people, to speak to us, to speak to me, that, Lord, we might have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to pop up a map on the screen so you can take a look at that or look at the one that's on your paper. And I'm going to read you the, 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 the parameters of, do you guys have a map? No math this week, sorry. Not enough room, too many notes, I apologize. So look at the screen. Um, so this is going to be, so you can see where we're going to be. Naphtali is where we're looking. So look how big this is. Way up here, all the way down. The Jordan River runs all the way down, and they have the Sea of Galilee. This is sweet land. You would want a condo there, I can promise. All right, verse 32, Joshua 19. It says, The sixth lot came out to the children of Naphtali, even for the children of Naphtali, according to their families and their coast was from Heleph, from, and now they're going to butcher these, so from Alon to Zananim, and Adami, and Nebek, Nekeb, uh, to Jabneel, unto Lakem, and other outgoings thereof were at the Jordan. And when the coast turneth westward to Asnath Tabor, and goeth out from thence to Huckok, and reacheth to Zebulun on the south side, and reacheth to Asher on the west side, and to Judah, uh, upon Jordan toward the sun rising. And the fenced cities are Zidim, Zer, Hamath, Rakab, Chinnereth, and Adamah, and Ramah, and Hazor, and Kadesh, and Edri, and Enhazor, and Iron, and Migdal, El, Horam, Bethanath, or Bethanath, and Beth Shemesh, 19 cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Naphtali, according to their families, the cities, and their villages. Just a little side note, when you see the word Beth before something, that means house of. That's always the introduction. You'll see also Kerjath means city, but Beth always means house. So we see here on our map, we can see that this inheritance is, is a very rich and beautiful land. And what we find as we study the tribes is we'll see that their inheritance traditionally is, um, it basically works in correlation to the blessing that they received. Now, each of the 12 sons would have gone to their father, Jacob, and Jacob was going to dispose, bestow a blessing on them at the end of his life in Genesis chapter 49. And we're going to get to Naphtali's in just a moment. But we want to first kind of look about who we, what do we know about Naphtali as a man. We're going to pop up the family tree on the screen there for you to see. So these are the descendants of Jacob. And what you'll see is Naphtali is number six. He's right here. This is Bilhah, this is the maidservant of Rachel, and this is, uh, he is number six in line. So we see, it's recorded for us in Genesis chapter 30, verses 7 and 8. It says, And Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With great wrestlings, notice, remember the, the connotation of what's going on in this relationship between the sisters. With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali. So, as we discussed last week, this is a dysfunctional family. Okay, there's a lot of stuff going on here. And this aspect of the maidservants having these children, there's a lot of, of, of bitterness. There's, there's, uh, there's envy between these individuals. So, this is the environment that Naphtali and also Dan, Gad, and Asher would have been born into. And what we saw was, as we look at this this structure, unfortunately, it's going to impact the boys. It's going to show up in their lives as well. And what we see is to get a glimpse into really who Naphtali is, to sort of get a glimpse into the personality of Naphtali, what we'll do is now we'll look at that Genesis 49, 21. And what this prophecy is and what Jacob is speaking is in relation to the man that these boys have become. Okay, So we see here in Genesis 49, 21, he says, Naphtali is a hind let loose. I know you're going to read this, and I'm, I'm going to read this, and you're going to go, what in the world does this mean? Naphtali is a hind let loose. He giveth 
goodly words. Now, in the Old English, a hind is a deer, okay? So imagine a deer that has been pinned up. You've chained it up. You've kept it enclosed, and you let it loose. Do you think it's just going to slowly meander out? Who's ever seen deer before? Man, it's like a rocket, right? So this thing is going to come exploding out of out of its pen. So this hind let loose is going to be about talking about speed, about about quickness, about about uh, speed and quickness. Those two things. It's going to give another word. I was just like, I don't know of another word that references those, but those two. So referencing that, so we see the speed aspect, and then we see also said so this is, and he says it giveth goodly words, goodly words. Now we hear that goodly. That the term goodly translates just means desirable. And you and I might describe these as words that would be appealing words. The wording used here points to several different things. It points to that, that Naphtali could be quick to encourage, quick to influence, or even to educate. Therefore, the, the title of the message being quick to speak. And what we found is the pattern as we work through this study with them is that Jacob's blessing does give us a window into the personality of these individual men. But then we also have another element, which is Moses. Moses, now this is about 450 years between the prophecies that are done, what Jacob's blessing, and when we get to Moses, it's about 450 year difference. So now what we're going to see is we're going to see traits that have carried on from the forefather that are now apparent in the people. Okay, And as this is happening, to give you a bit of context, in Deuteronomy 33, this is right before they're getting ready to go into the promised land. This is right before Joshua brings them in. This is right before Moses is going to die. This is literally the last thing he does. Deuteronomy 33, 23 says, And of Naphtali, he said, O Naphtali, satisfied with favor and full with the blessings of the Lord, possess thou the west and the south. If you notice, to me this jumps out. Satisfied with favor and full with the blessings of the Lord. Satisfied with favor. Favor translates preferred or desired. Now, interestingly enough, goodly means desired or desirable. So we see a bit of commonality between Jacob and Moses' commentaries on Naphtali. But what happens is Jacob is speaking really about um, behaviors. And what we see here, the behavior that he speaks to is quick to speak. And then Moses speaks more to motivations. What we see here is his satisfied and full. Now, if you think about someone who's satisfied and full, that's somebody who might say like this. We might say that they're in need of, they, they don't need anything, right? I'm satisfied and full because if somebody comes to your house and, and they sit down on the couch and you're getting ready to have dinner, you go, you want anything? You're like, I'm satisfied and full. Do they want dinner? No. No, they're good. So it's like, I don't, I'm not in need of anything. And when I read that, it made me think of Revelations. In Revelation chapter 3, there's a group called the Laodiceans. And this is a church. This is in the first century. This is a, a physical church in Asia Minor. But as we read this story, as Jesus is speaking to Laodicea, he's also speaking to an entire time. He's speaking about a, about a church age. Now, there's different church ages all the way through those seven churches. And the final church age is the church age that we're in right now. We would call ourselves people that live in the Laodicean church age. So as we read this Laodicean, uh, as Jesus speaks to them, don't just hear it as he's speaking to them. Hear it as he's speaking to us, okay? So here we go in Revelations 3, 15 through 17. Jesus says this, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You make me sick. Verse 17, because thou sayest, this is the mindset, right? This is the mindset that he's saying. This is the mindset of the Laodiceans and the mindset that's in the church age today. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods 
and have need of nothing. And then he tells them this, And knowest not that thou art, in fact, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What happens in the church age that we're in today is people have reached a point in time where they they think they got everything covered. Man, I can live in the world, and guess what? I can also be in the church. I can do all the things that I love. I don't need to suffer. I don't need to go through any kind of tribulation. I don't need to give up anything. Because the wonderful thing about church nowadays is, listen, I can go to a concert. I can have meals. I can have fun. I can laugh and fellowship and stuff like that. And you know what? I don't have to even really face conviction. So many people go to church and they walk in the way they came. The same way they walk in is the same way they leave. The Bible tells that it's for reproof. It's for rebuke. It's for instructions and righteousness. The Bible is supposed to confront us on our garbage. Because how many of us have got some garbage that we're dealing with? Hey, I don't care who you are, how long you've been saved, you're dealing with something. And so what this Bible does is it continually reflects back to us who it is we're supposed to be. So it confronts us so that we go, okay, I see who I'm supposed to be. And then I go, how do I do better? It's what it says is it's instructions and righteousness. How do I do better? God tells us exactly what we have to do. And what we have, unfortunately, is the fact that this, this culture, this age, and even these Laodiceans, they're blind to their blindness. They do not realize that they cannot see. And see, many times when someone has an issue in their life and you try to point out to them, they're like, what are you talking about? What? You think I'm prideful? I'm probably the most humble person on the planet. (laughs) Right? This is the way people are. And what happens is there are things that get our hearts. And see, this is the issue. Because God's supposed to have our heart. He's supposed to be our all in all. But what happens, things come along. It can be material things. It can be a relationship in our life. It can be a hobby that we have. It can be our job. It can be whatever it is that we think. And what happens is that that thing gets a hold of us. And what happens is many times so many people think because they have abundance, they're blessed. But not realizing that literally material blessings are nothing more than so many times the evidence that we are spiritually destitute. When Christy and I go to Africa, when some of us have been, I mean, Renee's been with us and, and Kobe's been with us. And as we go to Africa, what's so amazing? Why are the people so receptive to the Word of God? Because they don't have anything. They don't have shoes. They don't have food. They don't have water. They don't have these trappings or, the, or the, the things that distract that so many of us are distracted by. But yet we live in the first world, man. And we got all kinds of stuff. And if my iPhone's not the most current phone, I'm, I'm struggling. I've got a real issue in my life. It's crazy. But to us, that's a problem. We always say the same thing. First world problem. First world problem. Their problem is just surviving. And so why are they receptive? Because guess what? Their hearts aren't set on other things. They're open to hearing the truth of the word of God. But what happens to us is our ears get plugged. We have a hard time hearing because of the things that are in our lives. And so when Jesus is talking about this principle, he's talking about the issue and the danger of of, of physical wealth or of success or things that get our hearts, he references it in Matthew 13. He's talking about, in this point, the sower and the seed. And what he's talking about in this parable is he's giving examples of the hearts of different people receiving the gospel. This is what he says in verse verse 22. He also that received... Receive seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. Okay, this is the gospel. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Okay, do you hear what it says? It chokes the word. The most powerful word in the world that can change lives, redirect everything, has knowledge of God. It says that it chokes it. Basically means it says it cannot speak. So you can read God's Word when you're in the wrong place in your heart, and guess what? It doesn't say anything. 
You can read it all day long. Guess what? When you're done, you got nothing out of it because the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches have choked it. They've silenced God's word to speak to your heart. Look, Jesus calls it the deceitfulness of riches, the lies of success. And this is a danger to you and I because we live in such a place of abundance, such a place of success. We're surrounded with all kinds of, of victories in our, in our secular lives. And guess what, man? They get a hold of our hearts. Consider Jesus speaking to that rich young ruler that comes to him. I want you to pay attention to what it says here in Mark 10 as he comes to, comes to speak to Christ. Mark 10, 17, verses 20 through 25 says this, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus saith unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commands. He says, listen, you know the commands, the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. And this young man listens. Listen, none of us can keep the law. I'm just telling you, there's not a person here who does not mess up. Notice what this guy says. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Hey, listen, I got them all covered. Turns out I've never even said, a, I've never even told a lie. <laughs> right now. Um, verse 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, notice this, notice the next word. He says, loved him. He loves him enough to tell him the truth. Amen. He loves him. He says, and he saith unto him, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou, he says, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And notice this, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Well, understand, when he says, take up the cross, that's dying to self, right? Jesus tells us time and time again, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So followers of Jesus are not in love with the world, they're in love with him. Jesus was taking his cross to the top of Golgotha's hill to kill his flesh, his flesh physically. And what God's telling us spiritually is we're supposed to kill our flesh. So when I have a sinful fleshly desire, instead of fulfilling it, what do I do is I deny it. I deny it. I go, no, 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 no. That desire that I have, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pin that desire to the cross. I'm going to kill that desire, and I'm going to do the exact opposite of that, and I'm going to love the Lord, and I'm going to pray and ask God to take that away from me. I'm going to submit, submit therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. I'm going to be set free from this destructive thing that wants to get my heart. I put it on the cross, and that's what he's telling this guy. Hey, man, your problem is maybe all those things you think you've done so well, but guess what? You have idolatry in your life. You love your stuff. You love your stuff, and notice what this guy says. Verse 22. He doesn't say anything, actually. He says, and he was sad at that saying and went away grieved. Why was he grieved? For he had great possessions. Man, I got so much cool stuff. Dude, I can't get rid of my Lambo. Dude, no way. I just polished that this morning before I came over to talk to you. Right? People are obsessed with things. This young man could not let go of his love for the things of the world. You see, it's a choice. That's what this is all about. See, we either choose God or we choose the world. We get to decide which one will have our hearts. He just told Laodicea, listen, I see your, he's telling you, look, there's no in between. He says, be hot or be cold. I want you to pick. You decide. If you're going to follow the world, go in all the way. Don't tell anybody that you walk with me. But if you're going to serve me, then cut away from that thing. Because you know what? All you're going to do is muddy the waters. People are going to say, because what happens is we have a whole world full of people who go, I'm a Christian. And they curse you out in traffic. Right? And people go, 
Well, I had a nice cross on the back of that car. Huh. And the hypocrisy of the lives we live muddies the waters. And God's saying, hey, look, it's better for me just if you don't even associate yourself with me. Cut away altogether. Live your life in the world or live it for me. When Joshua takes the Israelites to the very end of the book of Joshua, when we get to Joshua 24, he confronts them with the exact same thing. He tells them, listen, you've got to make a choice. Joshua 24, verses 14 through 24. It says this, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood. Notice this, and he says, and in Egypt. Guess what? You guys were crying out for help, and you guys were involved in idolatry even while you were in Egypt. And God still delivered you. And serve ye the Lord. Verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which, we, which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I've made my choice. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. How can we possibly do that? Verse 17. For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up and our, uh, up, up, and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, in which did those great signs in our sights, and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed, through all that, that whole tribulation of the forty years. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for He is our God. Listen, they're claiming Him. And Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for He is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Here's the warning. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then He will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, He hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve Him. And they said, we are witnesses. Look around, everybody. Let's all hold each other. We're, we're standing accountable to God. Verse 23, Now therefore, put away, said He, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart. This is the key. The heart. God wants our heart. Incline your heart unto the Lord, your, the, God, the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and His voice will we obey. He told him to drive out the people, right? Okay? So, the people of Israel, including the tribe of Naphtali, boldly chose the Lord. Praise God. And for a period of time, guess what? They did well. Judges 2.7 says this, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders and outlived Joshua. So Joshua died, Joshua's, Joshua's generation, those that were still alive, those as well, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. Okay? But what happens is that dedication, that, that vow that they had made before God eventually starts to waver. It starts to, starts to wane. For you see, as the people of God became more comfortable with the abundance of their new land, well, that vow that they had made started to become more and more foggy and more and more forgotten. Judges chapter 2, verses 8, it continues. It says, And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of the inheritance of, in timnath Harris, in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the land of Gash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. So Joshua dies, those men that also saw the works of God and fought alongside of him, those men die. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. So the previous generation 
had failed to invest God's truth into their children. They had not educated their kids about the works of God. They had not told the amazing stories of what God had done. They had not prioritized Him. They had prioritized things above the Lord. Over, they provide, provided, or they have prioritized those other things over teaching their kids about God's goodness. Effectively teaching their children, listen, to worship the creature more than the creator. The creature, the world, us, more than the creator. Which is what Romans 1.25 says. That that's going to happen to us. And guess what people are doing right now? And can I see it? This is why our world is where it is today. This is why America is where it is today. Because guess what? We have not invested in our children like we should have. And the devil has subtly worked his way into the educational system, has he not? Woo! One teacher at a time, one advisor at a time, one leader at a time, one school board member at a time, little by little. And while he's been subtly working his way into the educational system, moms and dads have shifted from wanting to have a house that honors and glorifies God, and they've been chasing the American dream. I'm gonna get the best house, the best car, and what effectively they've done, they've farmed out their education of their kids, which is their responsibility, to an outside entity. And that outside entity does not have their children's best interest at heart. They have an agenda that they are trying to accomplish. And I can promise you right now, it is incredibly hard right now. If you were to go out and you try to find a school that was not adulterated in any way, shape, or form with a liberal, godless mindset, it is, it is virtually impossible. It has infiltrated almost everything. And the reason why the Israelites are where they are is because they did not take the time to invest in their kids. Can I tell you, if we do not invest the truth of God's Word through the Word, through teaching it and living it, and that's the key, because most kids, you know why they walk away from their faith? is because ultimately they see hypocrisy in their home. They're educated one thing, they're told one thing, and they see it lived out a different way. And so when kids go away to college and they go into that system that's designed to change their minds and shift them away from God, guess what? They go, you know what? I saw this in my family and I saw this in my family. Nobody's perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. But listen, we've got to continually, when you mess up, admit it. Tell your kids, you know what? I dropped the ball. I was an idiot. I didn't do the right thing. Let me be straight with you. Let me tell you what God's expectation of me was. I failed him, but I'm also failing you. And I need you to know that I love you. And the most important thing you need to know is that God loves you. Because I'm telling you, if we don't educate them to walk with God, that system will absolutely educate them to walk away from God. It is proven. How many people have you seen go away to school who are raised in Christian homes who, when they get done with college, are done with God? Right? And because they don't have the roots and the foundation, that's why rooted teens is important. If you've got a teenager, you should have them every week building and establishing their faith because otherwise, I'm telling you, the tide of the world is going to hit them like a tidal wave. And they're going to be overwhelmed if they're not educated properly because they're not going to have answers for the questions that the world's going to throw at them. But you know what's so cool? There's not one question that this Bible does not answer effectively, clearly, concisely, and completely. It is absolutely essential. Essential. So what we see here is with the Israelites, the unfortunate aspect because they did not educate their children, they did not invest in them. The result is in Judges chapter number, Judges 2 verse 11. And this is the result. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. They turned their hearts to the world. Turned their hearts to the world. And here's how the downward slide began for the tribe of Naphtali. 
Judges chapter 1, verse 33. Neither did the Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, nor the inhabitants of Bethanoth. And he dwelleth among the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Bethanoth became tributaries unto them. They made them slaves. They were told to drive them out, to make no provision for them, to make no deals with them. That was the whole thing. No covenants. And they had vowed before the Lord that that's exactly what they would do. They said they would serve God and God alone and they would obey His voice. And yet within a generation of time, not only have they disregarded God's command, but they have literally found a way to profit and benefit from it. Turns out that their inheritance wasn't good enough. They needed to added a layer of slaves to make it even more comfortable. You remember what Moses said to them? Satisfied with favor and full with the blessings of the Lord. A people who are satisfied and full are not hungry for God or focused on learning and growing in the Lord. They're satisfied and they're full. How many of us have been there? Well, we go through times in our Christian lives where, you know, we're really going through something. And man, we're, we're hungry, hungry, hungry. But when things start to get good, we get more and more comfortable. And guess what? We really don't have ears to hear too well. After Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler, this is what he says. Mark 10, verse 23. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto him, so you know that young man walked off and he was just like, oh, okay, all right. Because he didn't say anything, he just walked off. And he saith unto his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? He's basically saying, look, how, is, is it even possible for someone who's rich to, to go to heaven? And notice this. And the disciples were astonished at his words. What? <gasps> but Jesus answered and saith unto again, again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them, notice this, that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. Trust in riches, right? Our, we're supposed to trust in God. They're putting their trust in things. Verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. He says this is an, an, an incredibly difficult task. Because what happens? Jesus is reaffirming what they've just witnessed with the rich young ruler. And the whole point is this, letting go of the world is especially difficult for those who have much of it. And it has a much of you. Because there's nothing wrong with being successful. There's nothing wrong with having a nice house. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car. As long as those things don't have your heart. If you're so committed to those things that they're priority in your life, then man, things are off course. There's nothing wrong with having a family and loving our children. But if we put our children above God, guess what? It's, it's, it's unhealthy. If our spouse is above God, it's unhealthy. Every situation, every circumstance, God says, listen, I need to be number one. And if you'll put me first, then guess what? All that other stuff is going to work out beautifully for you. But if you switch the orientation, it's all going to fall apart. And that's what we see with Natali's story. This worldly indulgence, what does it do? It feeds our flesh and distance us, distances, distances us from God. They make it hard for us to hear God's voice when our heart is oriented towards something else. Right? If I'm in a, in, a, in a relationship or if I've got a job that's got my heart and I'm fully committed to that job, guess what? It has so much of my attention. It's got so much of my effort, so much of my heart that guess what? As God's trying to speak to me, I don't have room. I'm so full of stuff. Who's ever done, been so busy that when you sat down to read the, word, to read the Bible, you're just like, man, this is an opportunity to go to sleep. <laughs> I have given all I can give, dude. I am depleted. Okay, God, let's talk. And he's about three words in, you're like, oh, tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, that's what I'm going to do. Tomorrow morning when I get up, or I'm getting up early. I'm going to set my clock early, and I'm going to get up early. And God, well, then we're going to talk. 
the next morning, snooze, 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 snooze. Damn, man. Okay, tonight, God, tonight. And we keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And the whole time he's going, hey, I just want to talk. Can we just connect? Mm -hmm. Don't forget I love you. Now, I, I want to know that you love me, but it doesn't look like it right now. Your attention's everywhere else. Everything else has your heart but me. And so we see this aspect of not having the ability to hear. Now, this is certainly true in the aspects of material success. No doubt about it. Success in relationships and business and whatever else it is. But I want you to know that it's not just in the arena of success in, in the secular world. Because it can also be in church. Right. I, I was when I got saved, I got saved on a, on a Saturday and the very first Sunday I went the next day, I went to a church and that's the church where I ended up serving, uh, getting ordained. All those things took place there. And what was amazing is that fact that when I got there, man, that church was thriving. People were getting saved. Lives were getting changed. And the man that was running that ministry, that was the, the pastor of that ministry, man, things were going crazy. But little did I know God was dealing with his heart the entire time, trying to draw him because he was a lost man. He was religious. And what happened? He had memorized the Word of God, and he could give the Word of God. And you know what, God, man? It's God's Word that does the miraculous things. It's not the man. So God can work through any idiot. Hello. And, uh, and so the cool thing is that as God was working, 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 God was doing incredible things, and we were witnessing this. But while he was dealing with conviction in his own heart, eventually, you know what he kept telling himself? Well, because of the success around me, I must be saved I must be doing the right thing, though he had sin in his life that he wasn't recognizing or dealing with, and God was trying to draw him, but guess what? He could not hear. But it wasn't until years later, after the ministry now, which is almost dead, has been destroyed, and now also, then he went through his own personal life, and his personal life just destroyed as well. And it wasn't until a place where God brought him to such a point of brokenness that he came to the realization that he was lost. And just a couple years ago, he finally submitted and got saved after being in church for almost 50 years. Amazing. Amazing. But this shows you that how deaf it can make us. So God tries to speak to our hearts. The only, the only way truth can break through is if we have the ability to hear. Why do you think Jesus continually compels people, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear? He's like, I know you're hearing me. Would you hear me? Really listen. Because he knows I'm speaking. There's some people that are not getting it. You see, success can make us think that we are on the right track and that we have all the answers. But can I tell you, it's not only God that can bless us. Right? Because recognize, yes, God blessed Naphtali with an incredibly rich and abundant land, absolutely. But then there was an additional blessing of slaves. I can promise you that didn't come from God. The devil was like, hey, here's a great idea. I suppose to drive, these are hardworking people. They're already established. They've got, I mean, they've got homes already in the place. They're not going to be kind of draining you. Actually, they could be used to your advantage. So why don't you, instead of listening, I know what you promised God, but listen, this makes more sense, doesn't it? And God wants you to be smart about things. He wants you to be a good steward. Couldn't be a better steward than this. Man. And guess what? They bought. They bought. And the tribe of Naphtali, this unfortunately, this becomes the downfall of this group, this people who'd previously vowed to God that they would honor his word, now decided they, they knew better. We have a, a better solution. And as a result of their choice, they, along with their brethren, nine other tribes would be lost to history, swallowed up by the Assyrian captivity of the northern tribes. They basically just disappear. 
But what's interesting is as we go through their history, see, it wasn't all bad. They weren't just a bunch of schlubs. They weren't always disobedient to God. There were times where they were serving the Lord. If you go through the book of Judges, you see Naphtali show up again and again and again fighting to bring deliverance to the Israelites. You can find them whenever David's being coronated as the king. Naphtali's right there, man, standing with the king. Oh, but a united Israel. They're one of the groups. There's Issachar, there's Zebulun, and there's Naphtali that serve the people of God. They provided for the people. So they were doing the right thing. We see them listed in Isaiah 9 whenever God gives the, or whenever um, Isaiah gives the prophecy of the coming of the Lord, and it's going to come by. We have Zebulun and Naphtali. But see, ultimately, sadly, their story is one that's of destruction. The prophecies that are given to them speak of them. Remember, satisfied with favor and full with the blessings of the Lord. And when we do couple what was said of them, and we understand that the teachings that God gives us and the dangers of success, the dangers of, of associated with, with material blessings. Listen, I think most of us can understand why it is they fell. How many of us have ever been influenced in our lives because we had success? How many of us have ever been drawn off course, subtly, not even notice it, and then look up and go, whoa, how did I give this my heart? I used to be fully committed to God, and then I had this come into my life, this person, this thing, this event, whatever it is, and slowly but surely, I shifted the heart that I used to have for God onto this thing, and now what's happened is my time is so oriented toward this or this person that I've lost sight of who I really am and who I'm supposed to be. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a flash. It happens subtly as our something wins our heart. And that's why God's constantly warning us about the problems of idolatry and the issues. Because guess what? As we go further this way, our hearing gets worse and worse and worse. And as God speaks to us, it gets to the point where we can no longer, no longer hear. And it's an aspect of intoxicating us. What is intoxication? Intoxication just simply means that something has influence over us. And, and so the Bible word for that is drunkenness. Okay, We see the word drunkenness. Drunkenness is anything that has an intoxicating or a force or a power over us. Something that now has a, uh, an influence over the way that we think. Now, in context of understanding that, anything that has an influence over you, this can be a person, a thing, a place, a desire, whatever it is, pay attention. Have that as the context, and let's read 1 Peter 5.8. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober. Okay? It's not talking about just physical soberness. It's talking about emotional soberness. It's talking about financial soberness. It's talking about familial soberness. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. When we allow things to guide us or have influence over us that are not God, guess what? They will put us in danger. And you realize that now I know today we're talking and highlighting about abundance and we're talking about success, but there's plenty of things that can have our hearts. As a side note, consider this. What can have influence over you? Anger, fear, jealousy, greed, lust. All of these can be intoxicating. I can be so jealous of someone that I can't think of anything else. That thing guides and directs me. I can be so angry that I can't even think straight. It has complete control over me. So 1 Peter 5.8 is very key, and it's important for all of those. But when we consider the story of Naphtali as a tribe, being quick to speak, satisfied and full, it seems that their success had shut their ears to God's voice and brought them to a place where they believed they knew better than he did. Listen, we could drive them out, as God said, or we can use them to our advantage. And we know what they chose, 
right? We know what they chose. And when people no longer have ears to hear from God or His people, what you'll find is that they most often become very, very excited about hearing themselves talk. Really excited. Again, I know I'm always saying on TikTok, but TikTok philosophers, man. You can flip on there and you've got 17-year-olds that are telling you how to live life. They've got the answers to every question you could possibly ever, ever have. You've got these life coaches. There's life coaches all over the internet now. And they want you to buy something from them so they can have the life that they're hoping to sell you on, right? <laughs> and so these people, like they love to hear their own voice and spouse their wisdom to the world. Romans chapter 1, again, circling back to Romans. This is dealing with us. Romans is the church. Notice this, Romans 1, verses 21 and 22. Because that when they knew God, okay, though they knew God existed, they glorified Him not as God, okay, they denied Him, neither were thankful, unthankful life, but became vain in their imaginations, okay? They're full of themselves, and their foolish heart was darkened. What made their heart foolish? Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And this is what we have, is a lot of people that have gained worldly wisdom, They've searched the internet for all the answers to every question they could ever have, and they've accumulated all this knowledge that's not biblical. Can I promise you this? If you go to someone and they give you knowledge and it is actually profitable to you, it is found in the Bible somewhere. There is not a principle that you can learn in this life that is not covered in this Bible if it's good for you. But there's plenty that you can find that are not good for you. I can promise you that. And you see, when we stop listening for God's voice and seeking His wisdom because we're convinced that we already have the answers, I can tell you, listen, not only are we headed for confusion, and we never lived in a more confused age, right? Now we have, this is the age of information, and people are more confused today. They don't even know who they are or what they are. They live life trying to figure out, why am I here? Who am I? Man, the Bible tells us all these answers. And then there's a verse in James, James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. It says this, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man, notice this, Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Okay? This is the direction. Every man be swift to hear, listen first, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Because what you find is when you're quick to speak, guess what you are? Quick to wrath. You ever get in a conversation with somebody who's already decided they're going to be talking? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and no matter what you say, they are not listening, right? They are like a radio on sin. They have no receive. They're just like, wah, bah, bah. Is that traditionally going to be a constructive conversation? No. They're quick to speak, and boy, they're quick to wrath. And the Bible says this, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. None of those situations ever work out to be godly. They're destructive. When God's speaking through His Word, His Spirit, or through His people, are we quick to hear? Right? Is that our heart? Man, I need to to know. I'm going to be quick to hear. Or are we, like Naphtali, quick to speak? Because we're satisfied and full. We have to decide. See, you only you know. But but the, the call from Christ was this. He that hath ears to hear, right? Let him hear. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. Thank you for your word. I thank you for the truths that you've displayed for us. And God, the dangers, uh, Lord, of allowing things to get our hearts that turn us away from your word. 
that we're not able to hear. God, please let us be a people uh, that desire to know you, that desire to hear from you, desire to be changed by you, and Lord, that we might live for you. God, these lives are, are given us as a gift, and they're to be lived for you. And God, I do pray that you'd help us to do that, help us to surrender, help us to pay attention to our hearts and see where they're set. And God, I pray that you'll help us uh, to speak your truth, and not only speak it, but Lord, more importantly, live it as we speak it. With those who are here today, maybe you said, I don't know where I stand with God. Maybe I'm not sure if I'm going to, if I'm going to heaven. Listen, there are plenty of people that are in churches that believe in God that are going to go to hell. I'm just going to tell you that straight up. Because there's a lot of people that are trusting in religion. They're trusting in some kind of magic prayer. They're trusting in some kind of religious ceremony. And that's not what this is about. Not at all. It's about surrendering to the love of God. Jesus said this, No man cometh to me, but the Father draw him. God draws us to salvation, and all we have to do is surrender. The work was done by Jesus on the cross. We are, we are who we are. We are sinners by nature. We do wrong. We, we say hurtful things. We break people's hearts. We involve ourselves in things we shouldn't be a part of. And every one of those things has a penalty attached to it. And every one of those things will drag us straight into a devil's hell. Not because we're worse than anybody else. Because that's just the reality. A good judge holds people accountable, and God is a good judge. But see, an amazing, loving judge came down and said, you know what, not only will I, will I judge you, but also also give you a way out. I'm going to make a way that only I can do. Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and suffered a horrific, horrific death on the cross. Not because he did anything wrong, but because you and I did. And it's through his death through his death, the payment that was made through his sacrificial death, that you and I can be set free. Man, if you go to, if you're sitting in court because you got $10,000 in parking tickets and somebody pays that fine online, they'll let you go. But if no one pays it, you pay it yourself. Jesus paid the price for the sins of the world and he will do it for us individually. But we have to receive it. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A gift. A gift costs the giver but the one who receives it gets it for free. They just have to choose. We choose Christ. We surrender to the call of God on our hearts. And if we'll do that, not only will he save our souls, but he will give us a home in heaven and there is no, no chance that we can lose it because he paid the price. So if you've never done that, you're watching this online, you're listening to this recording, you've never received Christ as your savior, but you want to. There's no magic prayer. There's no ceremony, man. It's just your heart talking to God's heart. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you a little prayer. But it's not, the prayer will do nothing for you. If you say the prayer and your heart's not behind it, don't waste your time. But if you want to receive Christ and you pray this prayer and you mean business, God will eternally save your soul and do the miraculous work in you like you cannot possibly imagine. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for all the things that I've done wrong. I believe that you died for me. Amazingly, I believe you love me and you're willing to save me. By faith, I'm asking you right now to come into my heart, to save my soul, and to give me a home in heaven. Lord, I give you my life. Help me live for you. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Heads